recording. Okay. Oh, I think there we go. Yeah. Okay. All right. There we are. Hello, and welcome to This is Halloween, a podcast miniseries where I meet up with friends to chat about Halloween classics. And this week I have my old college alumni, Galen, in to talk about Miyazaki's Spirited Away. Hi, Galen. How's it going? Good. How are you, James? <laughs> good, good. And thank you for picking Spirited Away. I'm, as I joked before we started recording, I'm not a, I am a big anime fan, but I'm not literate at all when it comes to Miyazaki. So this is just a good intro. Actually, like in talking about being an anime fan was actually the very first anime I had ever watched. I was like, I think 13 or 14 at the time. Mm -hmm. And my dad, it was back when Netflix was still like sending you DVDs. Yeah. I'd rented Spirited Away and I had no idea what anime was. I mean, I knew, you know, DBZ, you know, I mean, that's like exposure I had of anime. But then I watched that and I was like addicted. And I was like, this is like the caliber. You don't have to charge up for like 20 episodes. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, DBZ is my favorite anime, and it's also what I was. That's part of like introduction. I had another episode where where I talked about this. There's there's a couple things sometimes where there's anime that's truly mainstream, and like DBZ, Dragon Ball. Um, I'm saying Dragon Ball. Yeah, Dragon Ball, Yu-Gi-Oh, and Pokemon are probably like the three most where yeah. just they just got accepted by American culture, and it's not even like at all thought of like anime. Miyazaki, that is where it's true anime, but at the same time, it's anime that's loved by Disney. Yeah, and I think uh, Spirited Away was the very first, like, like Disney collab, I think, is where mm -hmm. it, John Lasseter was the guy who brought it over. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John Lasseter, uh, now a bit of a controversial figure because certain things came to light. Oh, yeah. But... Yeah, yeah, but well, thank you for him <laughs> for bringing a spirit away over. But yeah, and so um, one of the things he yeah he was a big fan, and uh, he and maybe this is a, a starting point. But did you watch the English dub or did you watch the Japanese dub? I've actually watched both. Um, I watched the English dub first because um, I mean as I as I. That's kind of like the de facto one on the DVD, so I watched that. And then um, I, in Japanese class in high school, I watched the Japanese dub. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to say that I think that both actually do a pretty good job at um, kind of portraying the, the story. Mm -hmm. um, I think that you miss a couple things of like context um, from the Japanese dub to the English dub. Um, mm -hmm. Them being like it's uh, the original title is called Sento Chihiro, which is you know her name is Chihiro, and her you know, given name is Sen. Sen so yeah. Sen is actually like the play on words of her name, like the characters. Mm -hmm. um, so it um, you, you kind of miss those kind of nuances in the you know English dub calling it Spirited Away. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, well that. That's always some of the challenges for translation. Yeah. Uh, but do you which 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 one did you watch? Um, I watched the uh, 
the English dub. That was the one that was available through uh, HBO Max, which is what what service I use to watch this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of like the first thing. Um, I've I've been on this pedestal before. I keep kicking down on this guy, but he's a mil- he's a billionaire, so he's doing fine. But <laughs> Jeffrey Katzenberg. So it's like one of the things that one of the worst trends he started with learning the wrong lesson from this movie, but it was it was from Aladdin that he he decided he he was convinced that bringing a big name celebrity to his animated movies would make them much more successful. And so he then like was vindicated, unfortunately, with Shrek. And so once he left Disney and started DreamWorks, he did Shrek and that made him lots and lots of money. And it it convinced him cast celebrities and make the celebrities play the way that they're perceived. Mm. And so I bring this up because like English dubs uh, and this dub is a perfect example of of the better version of what English dubs should be was just they just cast people they 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 went to like the Disney yes the, their stable cast of voice people um the fun weird thing trivia to learn is that the the actress who played Chihiro mm-hmm. In the English dub is the same actress who played Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. If you also love Hercules, there's there is um the voice of Meg is in there. She's one of the characters. Yeah, I think she's the the older lady, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Yes. And like the other big one for Pixar fans is is yes, John Ratzenberger is is in there for one little bit. Yeah. Just like a tiny little character, but yeah, he's there too. But I think I bring that up just because I think it happened, and like some of the English dub actors, like kind of all just like voiced their complaints about this. Is I think by Ponyo, I think Ponyo, it was one of the things where it was almost dubbed like a DreamWorks movie where they brought in a lot of like big name celebrity voice talent to voice the characters. Yeah. And unfortunately, it showed where sometimes like those big name celebrity voice talent, it's they might be really talented at live action acting, but they might not be able to bring that same performance. And I do mean performance to voice acting, whereas trained professional voice actors can. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. saying it's cartoony either. It's it's almost different. Like, I think that like you have. Um the like I, I was this kind of comes to mind because i was uh watching a playthrough of like last of us i don't know if you've seen that one. but yeah you know, um shoot what's his name the the guy who plays joel mm-hmm. it's almost like it's a it's a different town or like um mark hamill right he he oh, was yeah. a, yes but he is like you know world-class uh voice actor now yeah uh, i think it, it just it's a different it's a different ballpark really because um well, I mean, Mark Hamill, for those who don't know, listening to this, but just like he, Luke Skywalker went on to be the Joker, and he went on to be Fire Lord Ozai. So, yeah. and just compare those voices of just Luke Skywalker to Fire Lord Ozai and the Joker. You, yeah. you wouldn't know it listening to it. I mean, maybe you, I think maybe Fire Lord Ozai, you can hear a little bit of real Mark Hamill there, but like you have to kind of like really pay attention. 
Yeah. But otherwise, it's just like, whoa. Really? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's great at acting right there. And um, my question is, like, since it was your very first time watching, like, what was your just general reaction? Like, you, <laughs> you were an anime fan, but, you know, this is, this is like true and true Miyazaki, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, one like that. I was worried about the overhype of that. This is masterpiece. This is one of the greatest movies. Of, like the the scariest thing is like learning just a little bit about this movie is that like Time Magazine listed it as number two on their best movies of this century so far. Yeah, I think that's a little overhyped in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like oh wow okay. Yeah. Um, I forget what they I think it was there will be blood was number one, so okay. Um but I mean looking at it immediately, just just from the first couple of frames of the movie, I was like just the animation itself was just so gorgeous, I knew. Okay, this movie is gorgeous. So even if it's the worst story ever, it it looks fantastic. And watching this story unfold I was delighted. It was wonderful. It's a great movie. It's fantastic. It's um. I was wondering at first why do you why why did Galen choose this for Halloween? But then as I saw more of the spirits and the and the parents turn into pigs, I thought, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like the main antagonist like, being a witch, it's like, oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And then on top of that, like the the night town, it reminded me very much like you know Halloween where they had the you had to give the spirits the treats and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, a very, it's a more, I guess, Japanese take on what it, Halloween might look like, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've said this on another podcast I did when um, I, I talked about Kurosawa's um, Throne of Blood and how that's an adaptation of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like one of the things there was just like, it's just the witches there, it's just a, a spirit of the forest. Just, I think the, one of the biggest differences of Western society compared to Japan is is just spirits and things like that are just kind of more taken for granted. There's never a moment where Chihiro is like astonished that there are so many spirits and witches. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's spirits and witches. Yeah. Have you ever been to Japan before? Or um, yeah, I, I did. I, I visited in uh in 2017. It was a lot of fun. Great. Yeah. I, I don't make sense, but like I feel like like spirits and the afterlife is kind of more is less taboo in Japan. Um, it's almost it's acknowledged more. Like uh, I mean, their whole like main religion is more of like a Buddhist-ish religion of Shinto, and that yes. is the celebration of like your ancestors, right? While I think in Western culture, you know, death is almost something to be afraid of than it is to be, you know, kind of celebrated in a way like were acknowledged in like Japanese culture <laughs> and and just the nature that there's spirits and everything there is spirits and everything is such a wonderful idea I, I mean in Japanese culture I do understand as I understand it me mm-hmm. the ignoramus or just is that there's even spirits in in machines and that's wow that's a really interesting perspective and way to look at things and i mean you see that in um oh not nausicaa but another one of miyazaki's films is uh the which one was it 
a castle in the sky you know oh, there's yeah. a, a, almost like a mysticism to the the machines in that as well so mm-hmm. i guess you kind of see that in spirited away too with the the boiler man right he's almost yeah. like king of sorts right mm-hmm. oh yeah just really just the vi- visuals so i mean i don't know how you want to approach this do you want to go beat for beat or just whatever comes to your mind uh we can just go, you know, kind of freeform, like, whatever comes to the mind. Like, I mean, it's, like, kind of on the note of spirits and the boiler. Like, what do you think of the the dust spirits? Yeah, that was a wonderful, wonderful, like, debut. And the visual image, just, I guess that's something. Okay, I'll go on this this pet, this tangent and say, more and more, I've I've become convinced. This is crazy but i i do genuinely believe this more animation i see i just more and more appreciate and feel that i think animation is just a more effective and better form of visual storytelling than anything live action brings I do. like um my dad was saying the same thing like he my dad's kind of sworn off of live action for um, the foreseeable future because he says that Live action, even if it's comedic, can be in a way stressful, and that <laughs> like cartoon almost gives you that separation that you <laughs> that you can kind of be in tune with what the story is trying to convey. And I think that something that animation, like I could watch the saddest like live action, like I could watch you know Schindler's List, and I I, I could I I I I see that it's sad, but I wouldn't cry. But you watch the Fireflies and uh, another one I would recommend if you ever watched that one, it's World War II, but it's on the Japanese perspective, Japanese civilian perspective. And that, oh, I, I ball every single time. Um, and, or, and I think, I think that, that what comes about is with animation is that it's, it's deliberate, right? They can, yes. they can make each frame literally frame perfect, right? So mm-hmm. a certain message. Um, I think that's part of the beauty of animation, right? Mm-hmm. I think another thing that uh, I, I really appreciate about animation is how much everything must be, de- what you were saying earlier, for perfect. But the other thing is it must be deliberate, is that animation is, one, because of the expense that it is, how expensive it is, but also just by its nature. You need to know the story in advance, and so you need to make every moment count, really, to make yeah. a good animated story. So, um just in spirited away like seemingly innocuous moments actually help either develop the characters or progress the story along and everything matters everything matters in this journey for chihiro Mm. just slowly becoming like a a babe in the in the woods and maturing and becoming more independent more confident and on that note then like do you feel that the it from the get-go, right? It's shown that Chihiro is kind of an apathetic person. Do you mm-hmm. think um, the movie, like that, the story with the Spirit Away, was real, or was it something of a daydream of hers? Ah, that's question. You know, I do love these kinds of stories. I, I mean, you can tell me how you feel, but I, I, I. I think it's it's fun in the Wizard of Oz and and Inception and all these other types of 
of stories of it was this a metaphor was this just a dream and uh alice in, in wonderland all these kinds of stories like that um i think it did happen mm-hmm. what happened to the car is kind of the the clue that no i think this did happen mm-hmm. it's just that the parents don't remember yeah but even if it wasn't it's it's part of um it, it's and um i think for me at least I, I i compare it to alice in wonderland of just that it's a little bit like alice in wonderland in that you're in this strange magical journey but it's also a journey of self-discovery yeah i think you know what the story's trying to say is like um she's apathetic and kind of i mm-hmm. guess disheartened in the beginning of the film because yeah. she's moving right yeah and I the whole story could be taken as like a daydream of sorts because it's her coming to terms with that change. Right. And in doing so, she's thrust into this journey of massive change, right. Where she is forced to change the parallels in reality of like that. There is, um, you know, she's moving, she's moving away from her friends. She's moving away from her school. um, And it's almost like a parallel of like this, journey is being thrust upon her and forcing her to grow as a person whether that's to be removed from you know what she knows or you know both literally and physically and you know like uh mentally as well um yeah yeah that's how that that might have been how it manifests almost like you know how i don't want to say trauma but it's almost like a like like that metamorphosis like sh- sh- shown like that can kind of go in your head of mm-hmm. how you might you know be afraid of certain things right because she was thrust into a a living situation that she was like in a, a bathhouse right you know yeah that literally is like if you took a kid's imagination and said like this is the worst possible scenario you could think of and that to her moving for like i had to move a lot as a kid and i mm-hmm. was remember that was always the worst. Like I had to move away from friends. I had to, you know, erase everything I knew and rebuild myself over and over again. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's how I kind of take it. You know, like yeah. that train, uh, element to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's spot on. That's wonderful. Very insightful. Uh, yeah. It, it, I think part of it is, and and what a perfect metaphor or, or story of that immediately for being tested and being forced to to mature quickly is that your parents aren't there to help you. Mm-hmm. Your parents, the authority figures that, that are able to just immediately resolve the crisis theoretically are not there. And in mm-hmm. fact, you have to be the, the parent to save them. Yeah. It's that's wonderful. Just immediate big concerns and big ideas. Yeah. And I think um, kind of linking it to reality, right? And I think that's a a big thing of the whole idea of spirited away, right? Your spirit is, you know, lifted away from what is real. And then it's kind of that uh, matching of the two. Um, Like her parents turning into pigs, right? As you said, like her parents from the get-go couldn't help her, right? She Mm -hmm. could, they were moving and that was her parents'- you know you know from or whatever you don't quite know um but you know her 
they just in the same way they couldn't help her in like that spirit world they also couldn't really help her you know kind of transition right they and even mm-hmm. when um you know she, well and in that opening scene they're they're empathetic but only empathetic to a degree where it's just like it's just like a parent's like oh, stop whining yeah yeah we yeah. know we know but like you're gonna like it you're gonna like it yeah but um favorite character that you in the film did you have did you have one you know it honestly actually probably was chihiro i would say might be my favorite and i just at first like i didn't like her being a bit bratty but it it quickly turned on me one because i was like oh that's so sad and like oh oh, this bit this is scary what are you gonna do what are you gonna do and um i mean the the boiler room character that that is such a fun he's a fun character just like a little bit character and just a great visual yeah and that's so fantastic but and my favorite sequence in the movie for me personally just mm-hmm. visually and as a metaphor for pollution for yes. is the this the sequence where the stink spirit comes yeah. and shihiro cleanses him truly cleanses him and uses ingenuity to think it out and figure it out and fix it. Yeah. And I think like that's a um a very Buddhist like I'm I'm studying Buddhism lately and I think that there's a lot of Buddhist uh, elements throughout the film like um and one of them is like if you see the stink spirit from the outside, right? He mm-hmm. is ugly, he's you know, repulsive, right? Um, yeah. But it takes, you know, an enlightened person, right? Someone to see beyond just what you see on the outside to notice that there's that bike handle sticking out of his side, right? Yeah. And then try and help and heal that that wound, right? And yeah. essentially, it's that river spirit. To the same effect, you know, um, you see that again with uh, No Face, right? When No Face goes into full glutton mode. Uh, yes. And... Uh, you know, she essentially helps him get through that whatever trauma he was going through. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Baby, same thing with Haku, right? It's almost like because she is not of that world, she can now see it with, you know, unclouded eyes, right? Everyone else is going through the motions. Um, and even though she's bratty, you know, she's going in her own journey of journey of self-discovery and healing of her own. And in the process, she was able to heal others. I thought that that was... That was the message that I really liked from that movie. Absolutely. I, no arguments for me. Just then, yeah, yeah, that's, um, you made me, yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, she's the healer. And mm-hmm. sometimes it does take that outsider to just be able to see beyond, because you're so caught up in the in the trees, you can't see the forest. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, people like, it was, um, a lot of people were just kind of going through the motions, right? Everyone had their job. Right. And she was the oddball. Right. And she didn't really have a job and was trying to look for a job because otherwise she'd disappear. Right. Just like Aku was saying. But, you know, at the same time, you know, just like she was trying to find her place. Right. It's almost like as she was trying to find her place and she was open to the idea of finding a place like it's almost like that the world kind of accepted her for as, mm-hmm. she, as she 
was, right? And then was better off for it. And I think kind of going to that, um, back to the parallel of her moving, right? If she's mm-hmm. open to the idea of moving, right? At the end, she's like, you know what? I think this will be a great journey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, her being open to that idea would allow for the possibility for, you know, the world to actually find a, a good place for her, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, let me turn the question on you. Do, do you have a favorite character? Oh, I'm 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 partial to, to the radish spirit, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just like think he was uh, I think he was kind of just interesting because he was cute, ugly, but also kind of iconic, but also kind of creepy at the same time. Um, but kind of went to like your point that. You know, in Japanese culture, there is like a spirit for everything, right? You had the dust spirits, you had the boiler man spirit thing, you have um, humanish spirits like um, I think was her name San. I think it was San. San's the older older lady. Oh yes. You have the river spirit, like the stink spirit. You have the witch, you know, essentially. Um, and I think it was like a radish spirit. I mean, okay. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll just go with it because it's a it okay a radish spirit, yeah. <laughs> but I as a kid, I I I always thought that Haku was really cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, as I get older, like you know, I I start to empathize more with as you said, like Chihiro and her journey, um, trying to find a place. Like kind of went through my own like you know transformation in the last couple of years, but. Um, yeah, I think that, let me think. Was there any other character that I really liked? I also liked the rat, you know, when he, the baby got turned into the rat. I thought that was cute. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that's when the baby becomes nice and becomes actually friendly mm-hmm. and learns some humility. Yeah, and I think that the, the, parallel for that was like um the baby you know is used to being pampered right just like any baby a baby's almost self-reliant on you know external factors to survive um yep. and you turn into a rat you know it's almost become essentially saying that you are turned outside of yourself right you are no longer in your own perspective and you can see us like the world in a new perspective you mm-hmm. can be changed and sometimes for the better Right. And I think that that is paralleled to Chihiro, right, who, you know, essentially was forced out of herself, out of her own element so that she could see the world anew and then be changed for the better. Um, I think it's those those nuances that kind of help elevate Spirited Away. I wouldn't say number two of all time, but I would say <laughs> it does elevate it to become one of those stronger stories. And, you know, those little details it can only be done through animation. I don't think you could ever possibly make it in live action, right? Well, maybe this is a fun little tangent where we can rip into some things, but I mean, right now the news is, okay, this is going to be controversial, but I, I'm i going to be honest. Yeah. I like the, the people they cast for it, but I don't care if you got the best cast possible. Live action Cowboy Bebop does not interest me. Because they already made perfection with Cowboy Bebop in the 26 episodes of anime, that's and one movie. That's all I need, and it's an anime. It looks better. There's just so much more visual, interesting elements 
the character performances, even that, just in the way that it's constructed through anime and through animation, I'm I'm getting much more out of that than I will from a nuanced performance by John Cho. And no offense directed to John Cho. He's awesome, awesome actor. Yeah. Glad he's leading that series, but I don't know. Just I think I agree with you. It's like all I can say is like Ghost in the Shell, Dragon Ball <laughs> Chin, you know. Don't <sighs> that obscenity. Airbender, you know. I think the only live action that was done right from in manga is uh, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. Oh, that was just on a manga? That was a manga, yeah. It's uh, uh, Live, Die, Kill, I think, is the original. Um, Both are good. I mean, and I think that... I think what you have to do is essentially take inspiration and just, you know, have general story beats, but then write it completely different so that it's almost like a different story, you know? I think that's the only way you can do it. Because um, otherwise, if it's a one-to-one, then you're just making comparisons like this is not as good as the animation. Well, I mean, the easy target, but I'll I'll bring it up also, is just, I'm sorry, just every little bit of the these live-action Disney remakes they've made, other than... Other than Maleficent and the Jungle Book, I think it's just I have no idea why this exists. Yeah, I, but I think see with Maleficent, it, it's almost the same thing, right? You take a story that you know and yeah. you something that's different, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a glorious perspectives flip. That was like okay, that's actually a good idea. Now I'm interested. Yeah, In Jungle Book, they just basically said like okay, Mowgli and maturity and like Shere Khan and Baloo, a couple of the songs. That's all we're taking from the old one. We're just doing something completely different now. Yeah. Um, and I think, c- kind of to your point, it's like, I think that what happens is uh, it almost becomes a parody of mm-hmm. itself. If, like, and I can say that, like, with Ghost in the Shell, did you watch, I watched scenes of the uh, live action. Do you ever watch or I watched the trailer. I it's just the minute I was, like, I love Scarlett Johansson too. Like it's another example. Like, look, it's nothing against the the people that are are being cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, Scarlett Johansson. That's a bit more on the dicey side because she's Scarlett Johansson in Japan, which that might have been so bad if if they made a plot point as I've heard that she has the soul of a Japanese woman inside her. So, it's, oh, uh, okay, that yeah, it gets a little weird that there, but <laughs> but I mean, yeah. But, but I think it's like you, you they try to recreate those scenes right like there yeah. is some iconic scenes like the fight on the water right or yeah. and it just it just it almost just becomes like you are making a parody it's all it almost feels like a high budget version of like those YouTube um, people who would make you know parodies of like real films and like recreate it with like a swimming pool and stuff mm-hmm. it almost Bad, but like on a high budget level, you know. I mean, there's some great side to side videos of of just, and I agree, it feels almost like a parody or just like, well, it just feels like a lame live action version cover song of of some of these classic moments. That... That's what it is. It's the kids' bop, dude. It's the kids' bop <laughs> of these anime. <laughs> uh, so, so for for me, I, I watched a. I, I, 
I was going to see another movie. I forget which movie I was trying to see, but it was sold out tickets. So I ended up seeing the Aladdin remake. And Aladdin is my favorite Disney movie. So it was just like, oh boy. Okay. And it wasn't, I didn't hate it. I'll give it that much. But just thinking of like a side by side comparison of just the song Prince Ali, just like they're saying the, the same lyrics. There's somewhat a similarity of visuals. But watching the animated animation, I was just like, there was more character. And I do mean that. There was more character being told for every frame of animation versus live action. Yeah. There's just a little bit of, and what you said earlier, for deliberate choices in Spirited Away, bringing it back, of just that there's some very choice in character di- direction that you get from animation because every frame matters every frame is is a conscious decision so you you watch genie hype up aladdin as prince ali and you watch aladdin puff up his his chest but then you get a shot of jasmine rolling her eyes mm-hmm. and they try to imitate that but just the way it's shot and like the way that the camera is just a little bit farther away from Aladdin, and we just don't get that little bit of smugness from him. Yeah. And we and we just have Jasmine talking to her handmaiden and kind of noticing but not super impressed by all the luxury. And just the end result is I don't feel that go-to punch, I feel. Yeah. I think from a couple seconds of animation. That, the, that punch that you're talking about, it's like, and even like in, you see it a lot in Spirited Away too. It's like you have the the almost like inhuman motion, like of, mm-hmm. right, like whether it's um you know like when they like no face is like you know morphing around like and getting oh, all yeah. like, and stuff or like you know when they'll do the heave, you can see like almost like where they look like they're breaking their back, like their like back goes in an L, right? So you can kind of see just how heavy, hard they have to pull that bike out of that stink spirit, right? Um, or when you know people fall down and like they they hit like multiple things on the way down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like when she was falling off the spa, you know, or even like as much as like the water, right? When they pour the water and you can see just like all the little ripples and stuff. cleansing spirit water like you can see that that is it can be exaggerated and it's it's, your your mind accepts it because it's it's cartoon you know but um but it also you know packs that punch that you need to kind of deliver that message right that you just don't really get with live action no i mean i mean i I love me some marvel movies and don't get me wrong they're gorgeous but that, how does that compare to Haku being flying in the air and being attacked by those birds. paper paper birds? Yeah, it's just just a very arresting visual and all the care and craft that goes into that. Um, another animation. I, I'm, I'm this is just going to be my love letter to animation podcast, I guess. But um, recent movie that just came out, um, kind of like just a essentially a straight-to-video movie, but it's on Netflix, so it's not that exactly. But um, the Witcher movie, anime movie they just released, yes. Nightmare of the Wolf, it's just... Yeah, I think you, was it you who, you said it on Facebook, and I was, I think I reached out to you, and I was like, was it any yes. good? Yes. I watched I, it. Man, that was amazing. Oh, yeah. yes, great. Yeah, it's, 
one like that i'll sing the praises of that movie i don't think i have on a podcast before but just if one it actually is a pretty good standalone movie you don't need to have seen the first season of the witcher to understand it i think why, why was Geralt bald by the way i mean i'm saying it in, you know <laughs> but <laughs> uh just so you don't recognize him i guess so i that, that was <laughs> yeah that was funny but i was like why is he bald <laughs> yeah well it's also very anime in the in the vein of uh, you know like halloween-esque but uh, <laughs> yeah my wife is like she's She's obsessed with the Witcher series. She had never seen it before, and I showed her the the live action one. <laughs> and, I don't know. She she eats that up for breakfast. Like that's that's her go to. And we watch the anime, and you can tell when it's a good movie because or a good show because she does like she does this. Like she holds her fingers like this really tight, and like that <laughs> mouth was a gape. So it's like okay, she likes this. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, and so visuals in that, and just like the action scenes are just so impactful and have such weight and we're just so jaw-dropping of just the visual capabilities of what you can do of just creativity and going back to spirit away of just washing that that spirit of of haku flying all these kinds of things or just simple the visual of of coal being sent over to the boiler room by these dust spirits it's all just the creativity and the and the visual capabilities that you can bring and with the proliferation of cgi i do feel that like that's something that cgi yes has made it where you can do creative things like that mm-hmm. but there's also a bit of sometimes not effort to make to really make it count or make it feel like it's something special yeah, I think I think CGI is kind of hitting that point where, like, it's just getting over the uncanny valley. You know, yes. you know, like yes, I think absolutely. finally starting to touch the other side of that valley, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but to the same effect, you know, it's it's not a hundred percent of the way there, so it's still like still dips back down into the uncanny valley, and I think that's where it kind of it pulls you out of that magic, right? And I think with like you know anime or even like you know like uh would you consider the witcher an anime that that (laughs) um i mean i know technically it isn't it was produced in korea and commissioned by american studio but eh, i mean we'll let it slide but it you know that because it's in that format you can you can kind of just dispend that disbelief right and it's absolutely accept all of it you know as it is right yeah well that's that's part of the the brilliance there of animation of just and i mean i could imagine unfortunately them wanting to make a live action adaptation of this like disney's spirited away but they considered it and i was like no please no (laughs) and like i could see the the CGI, it would just be a live-action girl and a live-action Haku surrounded by, in a CGI world. And I'm not saying that wouldn't necessarily look awful, but just there's something to the witch just being this grotesque giant head. Yeah. That, that like, but 
But because you're in an animation, you just accept it more. It's just easier to accept. Yeah. And more just like, okay, all right, there's a creepy giant head witch in front of me. And kind of taking that on a little tangent, like, I feel like it's almost like the Space Jam effect. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, I think I do know what you mean by that. Like that, that where you have the live action that you know is live action, right? You know if there was a live action Haku or live action Chihiro, you know that they're real people. Mm-hmm. And they're interacting with something that you know is not real, right? Like, you know, you knew Bugs Bunny wasn't real on the on the screen, right? And that it's like the, um, you know, who, who framed Roger Rabbit effect, you know? It's like, it's cool. It's a really cool effect. But you know that it's just that. It's just an effect, right? So then you kind of get it's extra noise that stops you from enjoying the story, you know? Mm-hmm. It takes you out. And that that's what you're talking about, the uncanny valley. I think that's my not problem with CGI. I'm, I'm, all, I'm not against any effect, really. It, it's just always like you can... There is that moment that where you can like separate and like say, but that's not real. Yeah. Like um, it's it's really cool to watch Neo fight the swarm of Agent Smiths and Matrix Reloaded, but it's there's only about like two minutes in that eight minute fight scene that's actually Keanu Reeves and at least yeah. some stunt people. It's all otherwise CGI, and there's. It's really great CGI and fun visuals, but it's... yeah. Nowadays, since you're, I'm so used, like my eyes are so used to like you know modern CGI, you can see where, exactly where the cuts are. That mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is completely CGI. Oh, now they're back to live action. Oh, <laughs> CGI. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can also know some of the tricks sometimes. Of like, why is it at night? Because it looks better that way. It doesn't look as fake. Yeah. But like, um, and I think that that's kind of like the beauty of like something like Spirited Away, right? The animation is timeless, right? It absolutely like you can watch that over and over again. Like even if I watch like um, like another uh, Halloween-ish movie, like um, The Black Cauldron, right? Oh. Even that is you know is it it's timeless. The animation holds up. It, you know that that's all hand drawn yeah. and it lasts, right? The effects don't don't, don't need to get any better it, to mm-hmm. tell the same story. Meanwhile, with like, you know, especially in the early 2000s when they were just messing with CGI, yeah. like, oh, man, that, that was some rough periods. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you can always tell, like, not to be mean, it's just that, it's just, it's what it is, is that sometimes they, some people were a bit overconfident in what you can do. And I applaud the the George Lucas is the people that wanted to explore and have fun and be creative, but other people were just more like, Oh, well that fixes everything. Now we could just make it CGI and that, that fixes everything. Yeah. And no, you've got to be meticulous and think things through and know when to use it and when not to use it. And when it just look bad. No, don't even know that it's like CGI, right? Like some, like, um, on another Halloween-ish thing, uh, Harry Potter, right? Mm-hmm. Like to the Oxford, um, the dining halls where they actually had the, uh, where they actually had the dining halls in Hogwarts, um, and it's like half the size. Like the the dining hall tables are like half the size of it in the movie, but you didn't know, right? That was CG to extend yeah. that, you know, 
out, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's like a perfect example, just like a nice light touch. There's always tricks that you can do. It's You don't want to know too much of how the sausage is made, but yeah, it, there's tons of visual effects like that, that that age well. I mean, Lord of the Rings, they it was because they didn't have that much CGI still that a lot of those effects age perfectly well. Well, The Hobbit, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Hobbit. Oh, boy. Watch Lindy C. Ellis's YouTube series. That's a solid recommendation of just everything that's about The Hobbit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so... I love how we've gotten really deep. I feel like I'm bringing out my English major self of just just getting into the deep themes of this this movie. But this is that's what you get out of great art is you can find much more than just was it a fun movie? Yes, but like and then more than just that. Yeah. Did you see like um like kind of so I'm a graphics person like that's like my major so I kind of I under I understand like when they you know like they do like you can force like the eye twitch right in or like a raise of an eyebrow a lot more meticulously in the graphics right so that's what i can see really well like did you see any like um like kind of literary um mastery in spirited away or did you see anything that kind of stood out to you in terms of like from like an english standpoint <laughs> well i mean you you touched already on on what we, we've touched on is that before is that she's gone on the great hero's journey and she follows the hero's journey pretty step by step. Mm-hmm. Separation from the comfortable of just that the parents go away very early in the story, which has to happen. And you get the the wise mentor figure and you get some aids and slowly but surely the, the character goes from a bit more passive and reactive to becoming active. And the stink spirits scene, which is my favorite, is part of that great transition of when she stops being just a bit of a spectator and more of like the instigator. And then finally to the big point where you, she ends up going on a journey to save Haku. Mm-hmm. And so by the end, it's that she's, and I think I'm not sure exactly what I would call it, but just by the end of when you've reached, maybe you might be able to touch on this with Buddhism, but a bit in that Buddhism journey of becoming more and more enlightened is by the end she's able to immediately know that that, that her parents and that she looks at those pigs and knows those aren't my parents hmm. just from from one look. I think um, well a big part of like the Buddhist like philosophy is just letting go, right? Letting go of everything like you know and i think the heart like people understand like letting go of the hard stuff right you know if for in the in her hero's journey right letting go that she's now in a world that she's unfamiliar with and just letting letting be like letting things fall as they may right that she is now here and this she now you now needs to make the best of it people understand that and i think that maybe this is kind of that whole buddhist journey of like the hardest part of letting go is when you have to let go of that which you love, right? Mm-hmm. People don't quite understand that because, like, I try to explain that to people, um, and they're like, "But 
why? Why would you let go of them if you love them, right? It's like, well, that's just it. You have to understand that everything is impermanent, right? Your situation might be impermanent. If it's a good situation, it's impermanent, right? If it's a bad situation, it's impermanent. The people that you that hate you, that make your life miserable, they won't do that forever, right? And neither will the people that are in your life that you love. They'll, they won't do that forever either. And I think she quickly understood to how to let go of her, like the situation that she was in, right? She is no longer in the world that she once knew and now is in this quite hostile world to her, right? As yes. an 11-year-old girl, like, you know, when you're having to work like slave labor in a, in a <laughs> bathhouse, you know, you, she learned quick how to let go of that. That's just her situation. And I think at the end, right, she was so clingy to her parents, right, but they got turned to pigs. I think kind of that what that represented is that she was able to let go of that need her parents right and become truly her own individual by the end and i think that probably is what you're trying to get at what you kind of felt but didn't quite know how to yeah <laughs> well just part of the enlightenment and you know the bring back to the matrix that's the end of the first matrix as he's finally become truly enlightened and detached and he he's able to see the world as it truly is or at least the artificial world as artificial as it is. Good metaphor. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about this, uh, but did you, I saw that each part, like you guys, trial and tribulation that she experienced in mm -hmm. the bath was representative of um, growth as a woman in like the real world, right? So Haku is representative of the crush, right? That yes. like, adolescence you get you get your first crush um i heard some dark theories that the bathhouse is representative of like prostitution right and you know the um i get kind of darker themes right that no face is kind of like a john right who kind of scouts mm -hmm. her out as the person that he wants to give money to right so that he could have her in his presence right mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, yeah go ahead I mean, part of the honest truth, I said this in a previous podcast, um, sometimes that the, the, the danger sometimes uh, when you, and this is part of the death of the author argument, um, not the separating the art from the artist, the real death of the author, which is the minute they, the art is out, it's open for everyone to interpret however they want to. Yeah. Um, and I'll get back to what you were saying, but a great example recent that i think is probably on the intentional side but also if not it's just a really great coincidence is um pixar's ratatouille okay. was a bit of a of an extended metaphor of pixar's relationship to disney and their thoughts on disney of just okay. how it's this it's this restaurant that had this great creative visionary but that visionary has been dead and the restaurant has stagnated and made nothing new nothing creative at all and and in comes this new entrepreneur of of remy is kind of that he's pixar and he wants to help and meanwhile disney at that time was so corporate and so profit driven that they were making straight to video movies which right. what's what's that but frozen food that you that you microwave microwave food right and using this prestigious name of disney for that is just so embarrassing 
Well, ironically, they made Frozen, right? <laughs> Which is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and that was part of it. And so, and so when Lasseter and Pixar basically took over Disney, which is kind of what happened. They immediately said, stopping these straight-to-video movies, stop right now. Like, but they're making money. It's like, I don't care. This is bad for the company. Yeah. And just, and so that's a bit of a applicability. And so that's easy to find. And sometimes uh, there, there's a lot of people who take a lot of, like, sexual interpretations of Peter Pan, mm-hmm. which I think is both fair and also weird and it's something that i i'm 100 sympathetic to jm barry the creator of saying i'm fairly certain he was did not have that in mind sure on, on maybe on some like freudian subconscious level maybe but that's just like no he was not thinking that i'm pretty sure but art's out there and that's fair game now yeah and and so i think yeah you can interpret that a little bit of of the bathhouse as a bit of sexual development and but no face kind of cleans up his act the minute he's out of the the bathhouse mm-hmm. i think for me the bathhouse actually represents a bit and miyazaki is is open about this he's a bit of a he's a bit of a communist mm-hmm. like, <laughs> okay. so like the the bathhouse the bathhouse is what is it but greed mm-hmm. that's true like, it is like the embodiment of 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 cleaning people for money of like we'll only do this like they only accept stink spirit because stink spirit has money mm. and like they're immediately drawn into no face even though no face is eating them but it's still like they're okay with it because we got money so yeah okay yeah okay it's like no this thing is literally eating you don't you care about that mm-hmm. it's like but money, but gold. Everyone is, everyone is, uh, you know, uh, expendable if it's money. <laughs> yeah. And profit is the only thing. And so there's a bit of that. I can see that, yeah. And a little bit also of just like that you're immediately assigned a purpose and that your work is what defines you mm-hmm. rather than helping people and being yourself. Yeah. And I think that that kind of, you know, kind of to touch on that, right, that that, you know, how I see it is like, you know, her working at the bathhouse kind of represents, you know, you and your working life, right? You spend a, lot, a large chunk of your life working, right? And um, usually for someone else. And it's not until that she detaches from that and decides to, that she's going to live for herself, right? And um, that she starts to actually make some impactful change, whether that's, you know, I think, in the, it's as, as you said, it's right when it, that stink spirit is kind of like the catalyst and the climax of the of the story where she decides that, you know, I'm going to do something that I'm not I'm told not to do. Right. Not go, do not go above and beyond. Don't do anything that is um, going to be, you know, divisive or controversial. Um, but in doing so, she was which is, I think, her true nature of wanting to be helpful, um, that she kind of shuns what was given to her right she was given a even a slave name right of sen yeah um and in doing so she starts to find her own path and i think that kind of goes back to the whole you know her, her coming into her own and just realizing that she just that's that's her purpose that, that she finds that purpose in life by um helping others 
And then she starts to do that with everyone else and becomes becomes that healer that I was saying. Yeah. I will say that the scariest moment for me is when she refers to herself as Sen to her parents. It was like, uh oh. <laughs> Wait, what was that? Like what it's when she sees her parents as pigs about halfway through. Oh, okay. And she's like, Mom, Dad, it's me, Sen. I was like, Oh, I, I think I missed that part. Yeah. Just like it's a little moment, but that's like, ooh, uh oh. And like, luckily, other people are able to remind her what her name is. Like, oh, oh, yeah. It's like, uh oh, that's that witch for you. And I think, yeah, kind of, kind of like, I wanted to kind of go on that, that train that you were mentioning, train of thought that you were mentioning of like that the, bathhouse kind of represents greed i think greed is always it's it's enticing for people right i think it the idea of wanting money and wanting to have a purpose right when you're given a purpose it makes things easy and i think a lot of people like that because most people don't like to have to think right and have would much rather be just given a purpose given a name right given a title right yeah uh, and then just walk away with that right and i think Absolutely. that in the spirit of halloween that i think that truly is the scariest thing right where you <laughs> just accept and kind of going back to the matrix reference you just kind of accept that things are the way that they are and not more than that right um but then you know in um both the matrix and um spirited away you know you see the beauty in what happens when you start to reject what is given to you and start to see things for what they really are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a perfect point to end this podcast on. Just that. Just find your. Don't. Just don't fall into that scary trap. Go out and explore. Be. Find yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, good place to so, end it. <laughs> thank you so much for uh, coming on to my little podcast. Thank you for inviting me. That, that was cool. Like I got to think about uh, a movie and I like to be cerebral. So this is good <laughs> exercise for me. <laughs> All right. Have a great one, Galen. Catch you later. Bye.